0: Well, good morning, uh, Redeemer family and friends. My name is Israel Martinez, and I have the blessed uh, privilege to call you brothers and sisters as we have this awesome blessing of worshiping our wonderfully majestic, holy triune God today. And so if you are a guest, know that you are welcome. We love you. We want to get to meet you and connect with you. And so please... um, uh, know that, that we are here to serve you. And so we are in this third week of the Advent season. And so um, this time, if you're not familiar with Advent, and some people aren't church, um, where, uh, and that's okay. It's, it's something that was historically done and, and kind of forgotten in America for a while. Um, it, it's a time historically um, where the church remembered Jesus's first coming as a baby, and we'll talk about some of that today, and his second coming or uh, his first and second Advent. And so this is why we as Christians uh, historically celebrate this season, this Advent season, or this Christmas season. Our culture does. All the things that we do is because of this time. So Advent is a time to have hope, to have true peace, to have joy, to have love in Jesus. And again, we light the three candles to remember the themes of, of, of hope, peace, and joy. And historically, the, the pink one is... Uh, uh, is the joy candle. And so it stands out a little different because I, I think the reason is um, the others are things that that are, are, are very internal. Um, and sometimes you can't know if someone has hope or peace uh, or joy or love, but I do think there's something about having expressed joy Joy that other people see. Joy that's contagious. And so there's something about joy that we're going to talk about today. So Jesus is the light of the world, and that's why we light the candles. So we encourage you, again, this season to think less about the Christmas and the movies and the hot chocolate and all the fun and the family. That stuff is good. Traditions aren't bad. They can be idols, but they can be good and redeemed. Um, So those things aren't bad. But I want us to think less about those traditions and all the things and all the trappings that come with Christmas and the Advent season and to really focus on Jesus and his Advent. And so that's, again, while we celebrate Advent, we have joy. We have the three candles lit, and the the main hopes we've been going over. First theme is, first week was hope, then peace, and now joy. And the last one will be love, and so we're going to look at that Jesus came and that he comes again. And so we're not just celebrating the fact that he came as a baby. Many people during the Christmas season focus on that, and that's good, but Advent also is this idea that this, the word means his coming or his arrival. And so um, we want to look and see the true gospel story of the whole Bible, that God had a perfect plan to allow this child, this baby Jesus, to actually redeem us and, and for us to know that he would be the redeemer who, is, who would be God with us um, now and eternally. And so today we're going to ask the question, when is Jesus coming? We're going to look at a text here in Luke 2, 1 through 21, which allow us to worship and learn. And this is our main idea today, that Jesus came at the perfect time in history to become our redeeming joy, and he is coming again. But speaking of this word joy, have you ever um, truly understood joy? And so in our culture and the way we use joy in English, we can equate joy with just mere happiness. Now, I would Push back to it. It's uh, if you have real joy, maybe there should be some kind of sense of happiness. It doesn't mean fake happiness, right? Or just smiling and, and, and being fake. It's not that. Biblical joy is more than just mere happiness, it, it's attached to the hope, to the peace, and the love that we have in Christ. Um, that Jesus, who is our redeeming joy, gives us through the Father in Himself, through the power of the Holy Spirit, this, this true redeeming joy. And so our joy is not found in circumstances. Our joy is not found in, in stuff, but, but solely in God. And so biblical joy, again, is not just, just happiness. It can have elements of happiness, yes, and I think it kind of needs to. But happiness is just an emotion, right, that comes and goes with circumstances. Joy is a state of the heart. It, joy is stable. Again, joy is a state of the heart. It's the stable thing. And it does not move with circumstances. Biblical joy is stable. Now, it's okay to have emotions and react. We're not saying that. But this joy that you have isn't this joy that turns on and off. It's this state of the heart that that is having this true confidence in God. It's knowing and loving God the Father, His Son Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. So my question to us is, do you have and and know the one who gives you true joy? Do you actually have joy in your life? Think of your life. Evaluate it real quick. Ask the Holy Spirit. Help me think, am I a joyful person? Guys, this true abiding, this true living and loving Jesus is the only thing that can give you true joy. And so our text today in Luke 2, 1 through 21 is going to, again, allow us to worship and learn that Jesus came at the perfect time in history to become our redeeming joy, and he is coming again. And so let's read. If you have your Bible, open it, turn it on on your device. And we're going to look at the first part of Luke, uh, Luke chapter 2, 1 through 7. And so we have this scene of this census that the Roman leadership or the, the Roman Empire wanted to be taken for all people in this heavily Jewish populated section of the Roman Empire. I want to see how many Jews were there, how many people were there. And so this affected Mary and Joseph, who were Jews. And so, again, open your Bible to Luke 2, verse 1, and we'll read those first seven verses with that context of this census happening. And it says, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. And this was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And so we see that there was no place for Jesus to stay in the inn. And so he was born in a manger, meaning a place where the animals ate from. And so again, there was this registration that was happening. And, and we see Joseph and Mary, and we see the, the, the setting of Nazareth in verse 4. And the, the, the writer here um, is showing us this idea that David came from Bethlehem and that this Jesus would come from the line of David. That was very important. This was showing that he was Jewish. And that that he would come from this Mary who was a virgin. And so it says that he was born in a manger. And the manger was this nasty place where the animals were. It was this barn-like place. And it says there was no place for him in the inn. And so... That idea there is that he was born in a manger. We think of that as sweet. We're going to sing away in a manger. We sang it last week. We'll sing it again. And we think of this cute little thing. And that's not what the the manger was. A, a manger was a really humble place to be born. So a, a Jewish homes back in the day um, kind of were... Um, think of a big square, right? And then think of this portion, most of them had animals. And so there was where you'd come in the house and you'd kind of sleep in the house part. And so this is where the house, but the houses were connected to where the animals were. So that there was kind of like an opening here. And then generally they could pass food down and there was another like outside part and you could come and then you could come in this part and this is where the animals would be. And so sometimes you'd see their heads, (laughs) you know, over, this. Uh, and and they could feed him, communicate with him and stuff like that. And they probably had something that would close that off. Um, But that's, Jesus couldn't stay in this part of the house. This is where the people had lived. He had, was probably visiting family and they're like, or I mean, uh, visiting the inn and then they're like, and they're probably traveling with family and stuff like that. And so maybe there was older people that needed to stay in a different place. We don't know all the details, but we do know that Jesus had to stay in this part, which was very humble that the king of kings would literally stay with the animals. And, and, And there's a reason this part was elevated, right? The smell and all the things that go along with what animals do, um, and so he was more likely in, in, in that part or very close to that manger. It could have been that he was on this corner part. We don't know all the details, but it, that, that, that's what it's saying. A manger wasn't a cute, sweet place. It was a nasty, dirty, humble place, and that's where the king of kings would make the statement of humility that he would lay in a place where his, with his lower creation the animals. That's real humility. That, I think we missed that in Christmas. Like It's this real humility. Again, it may not seem clear yet, but this little baby Jesus, Emmanuel, the word means Emmanuel means God with us. He fulfilled promises from the Old Testament to be born in Bethlehem. Bethlehem means house of bread um, and, and come from this David's house. Bread, right? Jesus is what? He's the bread of life. Uh, Old Testament says um, that, that, no, this is the the text that Jesus uses to defeat Satan when Satan comes and tries to uh, tempt Jesus. He says, man doesn't live by bread alone, but by the very word that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. Jesus is coming from Bethlehem, this house of bread. And so this gives us confidence through God's word and plan to see our first point today. And, And I think we missed this. That Jesus actually came at the perfect time in history, the perfect time. So if we look at the true gospel story of the whole Bible, we see that God actually had a perfect plan for this child, Jesus, who was given to us as our redeemer um, to come at the perfect time in history. That God's word paints a clear picture through creation that we were made good in God's image. And that he created the world good and that with a plan, though, to reveal his son to us, this son of glory, Jesus, who would come and be the answer to the fall of man. Because we fell, um, because our, our ancestors, Adam and Eve, we would have done the same thing. And God was not surprised when they fell. He knew it would happen. He allowed sin to enter the world. And Adam and Eve, again, did the same thing you and I would have done faced with sin. They sinned against God. They failed the test and then they passed on this legacy of slavery of sin and a certainty of death that is eventually coming to us all but then Jesus came into the picture that Jesus the king of kings the, the lord of hosts this lord of lords who was eternal and who created the world from the beginning with the father and the holy spirit Jesus who would be born through a young hebrew virgin named mary conceived by the holy spirit because God, then the Bible says, granted Mary favor or grace just like he does to us. Mary was sinful just like us, but the Bible says she was given grace just like us. And I believe that's the salvation of Mary, the mother of Jesus. And then she gives birth to the Son of Man, the Son of God, who John, who John calls him. We see him called the Son of Man, the Son of God. This Jesus who is called, this, this special word, Emmanuel. It means God with us. If, if you want to know what the story of the Bible is, the whole just God with us. That's, that's what God is showing us through the whole from Genesis to Revelation. You see, Jesus came. He actually came and he lived a perfect sinless life. And he proved that he was God. He proved that he could do what we couldn't do. All the things that we um, try to do, like we, we, we can't even go one day without sinning. And Jesus, imagine, lived 30-something years of perfection. Baby Jesus, if you have a toddler, I, I just that's the part that blows the mind, right? Or, or an 8-year-old or a 10-year-old or then a 15-year-old perfect Jesus. I can't even imagine. Just to remember yourself back in that time. And then think of the king who was actually perfect in those times. Jesus offered this wonderful sacrifice and he offered favor just like he offered to Mary, favor and grace for us so that we would have our eyes open. And and then God gave us the opportunity to love him for the first time in his death, in, in his burial and his resurrection on a Roman cross and his ascension and his promise to come again. You see, Advent is is a picture of the gospel story. It's kind of the hinge. Jesus gave us the opportunity and the ability to truly repent and believe in him to receive this grace, this gift. God also gave us mercy in not giving us the punishment that we deserve for our sin. Remember, God, he's actually just, he's actually good. Everything that we hear from the world is that he's a monster, that he's not good, but he's actually good. The fact that he allowed sin is good. The fact that bad things happen in the world still mean that he is good. Why? Because if they didn't happen, then we would think we are God. But he said, no, children, I want you to see, I want you to know who you are as my creation and who I really am. And so all those things have a purpose, the most horrible things in life that you've gone through, that humanity's gone through, wars, horrible things that happen to people. God is redeeming. And he will do it completely one day when he returns in his advent. And so this redemption that he gives us was to give us hope now as a future hope As he has promised to come again. So our first point states again that Jesus came at the perfect time in history. So we'll talk about this. You see, Jesus actually changed history. This man who didn't have any money, he didn't have he eventually got a a kind of a known name, but he just had a normal name. You know what Jesus' name in Hebrew sounded like? Joshua. We get Jesus, so his name was Josh. Hey Josh, he didn't have a special name. Wasn't like super cool redeemer guy. You know, it was just Josh. He had a normal name. He didn't come from earthly royalty. He came from like a, a construction worker, a carpenter is what we think Joseph was. Uh, his stepfather, right? Because he was born of a virgin. Mary wasn't big time or she did come from the line of David, but by that time, she had just become kind of normal, probably lower middle class, maybe, maybe middle class. Jesus came from the 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 Jews in Deuteronomy. It says that there's nothing really special about the Jews. They were just people that God chose. They were actually weak and small, and they're still small and weak. Although we love the Jews, we bless the Jews. They are no not really uh, any other. They're not special than other any other nation, other than that God chose them, just like God's children now. But this small little nation who was always rebelling and sinning and then getting conquered over and over from, from the Assyrians to the Babylonians to then the Greeks. That's why at Jesus came at the perfect time because they would be speaking Greek. And so this God-man Jesus changed history. God in his sovereignty, he allowed the Romans to build their empire. And what did the Romans do? The Romans built roads. They built these awesome expansive highways that still stand today. The Colosseum is still standing. These roads are still standing in modern-day Italy, and not just Italy, throughout all Europe. These expansive roads that did what? They connected the whole world. And he allowed Greek which, to, to become the more common language than even Latin. Why? Because Alexander the Great had come before. Alexander the Great had con- conquered the world and the expansion of Greek culture kind of meshed with Roman culture a few centuries right before Jesus came. It's like he knew what he was doing. And then the Greek language was used in the Roman Empire. It's kind of confusing to get the gospel as far out as the Roman Empire reached from Spain to then the northern part of Africa, deep into the Orient, into what we'd say even parts of Asia and all the way into different parts of Europe. It's kind of like God knew what he was doing like he came at the perfect time. You see, these mix of these other powerful nations, first the Greeks and then the Romans, provided this perfect system for Jesus to come and change the world and, and become the redeemer of the world. That would then expand the, 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 the Bible to be written in, in Hebrew, but the New Testament to be written in Greek. And that's well, what's called the lingua franca, or the, ling, the language that everybody used, just like English today. It's, it was a common language. So it's important. And there's a reason. That's why Jesus, again, provided this perfect system um, to come and change the world and become the redeemer of the world. To become this redeeming joy. Not just for the Jews, but for us, the Gentiles. It just means the nations, all the other nations. You see, we want to question God sometimes if we're honest, especially Christmas, stuff's going on, this thing that happened, that thing that happened. And we honestly think we can write a better story than God, that we can replace God with us and say, my name, Israel with us, or whatever your name is. And we want to write a better story than God. But it doesn't even make sense. And in our pride, we can be ignorant of God's wisdom and his sovereignty. Sovereignty means that he's the king and that he does what he does. We don't like that. We're like, no, we're American. I do what I do. But God says, no, no. I'm king. I'm sovereign. Over every hair on your head, over the color of your skin, over the background that you came from, your parents, I chose you to be in that family. I chose this for you. God chooses a lot of things for us. We obviously have a will, right? Some sort of will. We're not as free as we think. Think about it. We have a will. Did you get to choose your children's look if you have children? No. Did you get to choose their skin color? No. Did you get to choose your skin color? No. Did you get to choose your last name from birth? No. There's a lot of things we don't have control of, and God's like, come on, really? Who do you think you are? We're just like a little kid running, like a little fly. We think we're running the show, and God, if he wants to, he can just grab us and stop us. That's the holy God that we say. But this God who has that kind of power... He doesn't come like a monster. He comes gently and loving. And yes, he does display his wrath, and he put that on Jesus. But he is sovereign. He is powerful. And in him writing his story, I know I have come to God at times and, 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 and wonder, why did, why did he come such a long time ago? Come on, that was, why did you come in the Greco-Roman times? Especially like, you're like, come on, God, like there's technology now. We're smarter than you, kind of. Like, come on, we've invented YouTube. We've invented the internet. Like, God, if you would have came now, right? We're like, it would have been more effective if we could have captured the gospel message, the actual, not these movies like Chosen and all these, uh, the Passion of the Christ, bump that. What if we actually caught the real resurrection of Jesus on video? I used to think this as a kid. And even as a young man, if we, if we had VHS, y'all don't even know what that is, but some people, VHS, right? The big blocky videos. If we had the VHS, like my Aladdin or Lion King, like if the actual footage of Jesus, man, people would believe it. And then what happens? VHS tapes go out of style. And then I, what, if, what if we got it on DVDs, right? But they faded too away into media history. And then I thought, why? wait, God, why did you just use this, this wonderful thing of MySpace, then YouTube or Facebook or whatever, right? Everyone could be saved if they could just see it on YouTube or Facebook because we believe everything on there, right? But really, with all the fake news and video editing and technology, my idea was stupid, right? We all have dumb ideas. Do you think any human would actually believe those YouTube videos of Jesus? Would you? Even if they were true. Would we believe, and we just be like, man, those are fake. We would just laugh and mock at how horrible the editing is. It's like, man, really? That's, that's a fake crucifixion. That blood doesn't look real, right? Band of Brothers was better, or Saving Private Ryan, and movies in the 90s did a better job than this video. Even if it was actually caught, we would not see because we are blind. God did something better. What did he do? God left us the living word in Jesus, and his written word in Greek right, to then be passed on this Bible and this gospel, his proclaimed word, which would be the message, right, because there's no, that people criticize and stuff the Bible, but it's way harder to criticize the literature of the Bible than it would be to criticize YouTube videos and and editing, right, and all this, what do they call, deep fakes and all that stuff, huh, it's like God knew what he was doing, it's like he came at the perfect time, because God knew that the best way to preserve the truth was not in a YouTube video or any other media, but through the written word. Because the written word historically has been power. Literature and knowledge is power. You know why rich people uh, send their kids to get like a BA? I have a BA. I'm like, what? Some people get a BS in science. So I have a Bachelor's of Science. I got a Bachelor's of Arts What a in, in music business. Uh, okay. So what's the point of a, of a BA? Because rich people know how to make money but what do they need to know how to do? What does a BA teach you to do? To read, to be literate, to know how to write, to know how to communicate. That's one of the biggest skills. There's a um, a, a Navy SEAL guy that I, I, I listened to, and I was like, "Why would he he, he?" he is a famous guy named Jocko Willink, and you know you can have your opinion on him or whatever. But he he also got a, a B.A. in literature too, as a Navy SEAL, as a commanding officer, in a Navy SEAL. Why? So when he writes, you got to write reports as a military officer. You got to communicate. You got to know where you're going. You're going here. So communication, literature, the word. And I encourage you, if you struggle there, like step into that. That's something that God. As Americans, we have so much access to learn how to read and to write and to study grammar and to be literate. And I get it. Some of us have different giftings. But there's something there about the word, the power of the word, and the power of knowing uh, even grammar and language. There's something beautiful there. And God knew exactly what he was doing. He gave us, again, Jesus, the living word, the written word, and the proclaimed word, this gospel, so that we would not uh, depend on something dumb like a, a YouTube video. Because the Bible has been preserved like no other book and criticized, but it, it, like no other book in the, in the world has it been criticized and has it been preserved and out-preserved any other book. You can go back and do all the history. You don't have time for that now. But God preserved his word so we can be talking about it and learning from it today. In all these translations, I can literally pull up my phone and, and I got Portuguese and Spanish and, and, and Hebrew. And he used, again, that, that Greco-Roman world that we don't even know about. To come at the perfect time in history, to send the Son of Man, Jesus, to change the world and to change history. You see, because Jesus actually changed history and he came at the perfect time. And our first point teaches that, again, Jesus came at the perfect time in history. And the world and the Hebrew people were waiting their whole lives for this and asking the question, when is Jesus coming? And most of them missed it. And then he actually came as a humble baby. Jesus came at the perfect time in history to become our redeeming joy, and he is coming again. So let's look at the rest of our text today, and it's going to help us see our second point today. That Jesus came at the perfect point in history to be our redeeming joy. So let's look at verses 8 through 21. They say, And in the same region there were these shepherds. These pastors, that's what that word pastor comes from, a shepherd. You're watching sheep out in the field. They were keeping watch over the flock by night. We're going to sing some songs that talk about this story later. It says, And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory, doesn't the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. You like we think angels are like nice and sweet. Oh, cute little chubby angels or whatever. Like, nah, these angels were scary. It was like a horror movie. Whatever movie scares you, it was like this shining light, and they were just terrified. What is that? You know, angels. And demons are essentially the same beings, right? They're messengers. That's what that word means in Greek or Hebrew. Malachi means my messenger, my angel, the book of Malachi. Or in Greek, it's angelos, So this, a word that is this, this, this messenger. That's all an angel is. It comes in many forms. They don't come like little babies with wings. That's not an angel. An angel can manifest in different forms. We can even be entertained by angels. That's for another day. But these angels came and they were fearful. The shepherds were terrified and the angel said to them, fear not. I know I'm scaring you. Fear not. For behold, the angel said, the angel is preaching the gospel. I bring you gospel. I bring you this evangelion. I bring you good news of great joy that will be not just for the Jews, for all people. That's the joy that we can have, guys. That's the joy that we can live in, not just fake or, or, or kind of happiness or like fake joy. We're kind of trying to just make it, but real joy that we live with. He says, for unto you is born this day in the city of David. This is the good news. A savior, a deliverer, a Joshua. That's what the word means in Hebrew, by the way, who is Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one. That's the Greek word for this anointed one, the Lord. And so we see here, that Jesus becomes and is our redeeming joy and that the promises are actually fulfilled in him. All these promises are fulfilled. Look at verse 12. It continues saying this idea. And it says, and this will be a sign for you shepherds. They're like, you're going to find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And and then it says, and then suddenly with the angel, a multitude of the heavenly host praising God, they were saying glory to God in the highest and on earth Peace among those with whom he is pleased. Remember we talked about peace uh, last week and we saw that Christians, sons of God, we actually have this peace. The world doesn't, but we do. God gives peace to his sons and daughters. And we can trust that Jesus actually came. Guys, we missed this and this anchors us if we think about the whole story of humanity, Jesus came at the perfect time in history. Why? So that you could know him, so that he could be your redeeming joy, so that you didn't have to live in brokenness and sadness and pointlessness. He came to redeem you and to give you actual joy, not just joy in whatever other things you can find joy in, but in him. And guys, he's actually coming again, and he'll come at the perfect time in history as well. The sec- For his second advent, And so, this last section in verses 15 through 21, it will solidify our first and second points as the text gives us this gospel hope of the fact that Jesus actually came at the perfect time and that he truly is our redeeming joy. Look at verses 15 through 21. They say, When the angels went away, From them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. So, just like God did to the shepherds in making himself known to them, God reveals himself to us, not the other way around. The Bible says we love him because he first loved us. We see this in the story here, too. Verse 16 continues saying, and they went with haste, that means they went fast, and found Mary and Joseph and a baby lying in a manger. This is the third time we see this word manger. And then we saw it. Remember I explained the manger was this place where the animals were, kind of connected to the main house, but there's this other place that went lower, kind of here, and it would be divided by wall. There's a door here and a door here to the main house and the manger house. It says, and when they saw it, They made known the saying that had been told them concerning the child. So the shepherds declared the gospel promise that they had known from the Old Testament. And then verse 18 says, And all who heard it, they wondered at what the shepherds told them. Now others heard this gospel, meaning this good news story of Jesus. But then listen, it says in verse 19, But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering or thinking of them deeply in her heart. Mary treasured the gospel. And thought about the gospel promises given to her miraculously through angels, these messengers of God. And so she pondered the beauty and the wonder of the birth of her Messiah, the Son of God. And then verses 20 and 21 show us... Show us worship of Jesus and the hope that Jesus is actually coming again. Look at this in verse 20. It says, And the shepherds returned, returned glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. And then at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus. Again, that Joshua, Yeshua, Yeshua, deliverer or redeemer is the Greek version again for Joshua. Then he says, The name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And so we are left again knowing that Jesus actually came at the perfect time in history to become our redeeming joy, and he will come back again at the perfect time in history. And this is the hope that we can have. So our third point is that he is coming again, guys. He will actually come again. And so whatever is going on in, in this Christmas season, whatever is going on in your life, I want you to find comfort that the king is actually coming again. And that's changed history, and it should change us now. Jesus had these 12 dudes, just 12 dudes. He had other women and people he was investing into, again, who were his disciples. But we see the 12 as an example. And, and there are others that followed him at various levels. But we see something, again, different about this, these 12, these disciples. None, and again, and all of, of all of Jesus' disciples, not all of them were loyal. It says in John, we've gone through over this recently, many of them disciples left him. Many deserted him. And it says, and then we see that, that he was sold um, by his own people's leadership and put into the Roman hands. Even his, when that happened, right, even his closest disciples went away. He was accused and convicted as a criminal. In fact, the other criminal, Barabbas, was released and Jesus became uh, the, the prisoner. His own people wanted to crucify. So they shouted, crucify him. I've been haunting, crucify him. And Jesus then took the painful road of being hung on a tree, hung on that cross, and he was murdered. And even before that, they, 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 they spat on him. They mocked him. They beat him where you couldn't even see his face. He was bloody and in pain. But most of all, he was being prepared as a sacrifice to take on all the penalty of humanity's sin, all the deep and dark and evil and disturbing things that you and I have thought and done. The perfect innocent sacrifice, Jesus took on the wrath, the anger of God, so that we could have hope and redeeming joy. And you're maybe, I haven't, you're like, I haven't done anything evil or dark or disgusting. Well, then that pride that you have and that I have, He came to crush that, to crush that us thinking that we can write a better story than God. Because the best of us, John the Baptist, Jesus said, couldn't even tie the, the sandals of Jesus. He wasn't even worthy sandals were disgusting it was like touching like a bathroom floor but Jesus this perfect innocent sacrifice Jesus took on the wrath he took on the anger of God because God has perfect anger an anger that we can hold just for a little bit and then we lose it but God holds perfect anger all the time the Bible says uh, be angry and do not sin you can be angry and not sin Ephesians anger is not always bad Parents, you need to have a little fire in you sometimes with them kids. You need to, you need to lead them. You need to say, stop, come here. And if they do something, you, anger is not bad. If someone punches your spouse or your children, I hope you are get angry, right? Angry, it, anger does not mean you're out of control. It doesn't mean you're a buckethead. Now, you can't go too far in anger because that it quickly leads to sin. But so does passivity or just, I'm not going to do anything. I'm a coward. Someone just hit my wife. I'm just going to stand here. Man, there's a lot of men like that these days. And I'm praying for God to raise up godly men. I'm praying for the generation of my son and, 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 and those of us of here who will have children, especially men. There's, I think there's a lot of godly women. I'm praying for the men that we would step up and be who God has called us to be. Because God does have anger because of all the weakness, all the passivity, all the sin that we have done. But Jesus came so that we could have actual hope. That's why our world politically is in trouble, and everybody's hoping in everything else instead of hoping or anchoring their life in Jesus, who would actually come and restore the world. He's this redeeming joy. He would be and said it, he would make a new heaven and a new earth, and that we could be a new creation, that the old has passed and the new has come. And even those who he has saved. That one day, that when he comes back, we will have new bodies. We'll be fully glorified with him. We'll see his kingdom culminated. This, there's more to life than right now. The kingdom will be completed. His kingdom will be established on earth. And Jesus, the, 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 the savior of the world that the world actually rejects, right? You can talk about any other religion. And you talk about Jesus, canceled. You see, even the scholars and people in academia, many of them hate Jesus. But even then, they can't deny the fact that he changed the world. And history and time cannot reject that as a man, just as a man, Jesus actually changed the world. He changed the way of humanity. Humanity has literally marked its calendar based on Jesus. That BCE thing never really took off, right? We say BC or AD, after the year of the Lord. That's what what we do. So historically, we marked again our calendar BC, but the Anno Domini is the year of the Lord. That he came. That's what that means. That's why we don't say A-C. I remember as a kid, A-C, after Christ. <laughs> Before Christ, after Christ. I was wrong. I said, why, is, why is there a D? It's A-D, year of the Lord. And so my heart isn't to convince you that that, that Jesus is coming with historical facts or signs. Oh, there is some good proof and stuff there. Because people always want a sign. Evil people want a sign from Jesus. That's what it says in Matthew 12, 38 through 42. These religious leaders, these Pharisees, they just accuse Jesus of being associated with Satan, and then they demand a sign from Jesus to prove that he is God. And Jesus says, you know, the only sign that I'm going to give to you is the sign of Jonah. Jesus responds with the word of God in Jonah, which is a gospel picture of repentance and belief or true love of a true God. You see, signs won't work or convince anyone. History, though, agrees that Jesus was a real man and that he walked the earth and he changed the world. And no historian will argue that. There may be a few, but most won't. Good ones won't. But just like the Israelites in the Old Testament, in Old Testament humanity, even though they knew Jesus, they would reject that Jesus is God. And they would reject that he is the one that we are to love and serve. The demons believe in Jesus, the Bible says, and they shudder. Demons are more scared of Jesus and God than humans sometimes. That's scary. You see, history or facts won't win you over or allow you to repent and believe. Only God can do that. Only God can give you redeeming joy and see that he actually came at the perfect time in history and that he is coming again. And so where is your heart today, friends and family? Man, are you excited that Jesus is actually coming back? Is that even something you ever think about? Maybe you have other thoughts controlling you. Maybe you're stuck in some kind of sin. Maybe right now your mind is just here and you can't even think about what I'm saying. And there are other things that are entering. And you've forgotten about his return. You've forgotten about his advent, that he's actually coming back. And is there hope in this Emmanuel God with us, is there hope in the redeeming love that He gives? Or maybe you're anxious, maybe you're worrying, maybe you're thinking about other things, and you can't even process how to love God. Life's a, it's so fast and it's and it's so out of control and it's so chaotic and, and and your joy is lost or broken. Man, have you really ever understood true biblical joy? Doesn't mean there's not going to be heartbreak and, and suffering. The Bible says the opposite is true. <laughs> if you're a Christian, there will be if you want to live a godly life, you will be persecuted. Man, there's a, lot, a bunch of stuff like that. But Jesus is our redeeming joy. And he can give you true joy. I, I heard this saying from a pastor once that one of the, the things that marks strong families, that makes families strong, is the, is the joy of the father. If the father is a joyful man, man, those kids are joyful, those kids become stable, and they become good people. Just, but then he says, you know, it's not just the joy of the father. It's the express joy of the Father. The Father, He's not just like, yeah, I'm joyful, do this, kids, do that. But He can have fun, that He can love. And so sometimes I think we need to do that. We just come and we're grumpy gusses all. Well. It's not being fake, but is there joy in your life? Are you excited to be alive? Are you thankful for the life that God has given you? Express joy because Jesus is redeeming joy that He gives, not in circumstances, not in stuff, not in situations but solely in Christ, that you have real joy in him. Remember, biblical joy, it's not just happiness. Happiness is an emotion. Joy is a state of the heart. It's a state of your heart, having true confidence in our triune God and in his plan. It's knowing and loving Jesus. It's abiding or living and loving Jesus. It's the only thing that can give you joy. And so have you been abiding in Jesus for his redeeming joy? Is he abiding in you? The Bible says that we abide in God. He abides in us. It's this, this spiritual thing. I was talking to a guy yesterday, and he's like, man, you're the first Christian that's ever talked to me that's talked about it being a spiritual battle. I was like, that's sad because I think we forget. Because if you're a true Christian, you are protected from a lot of this. Sp- even if you don't pray, I think you should pray that way. It's the, the Lord's Prayer. You're protected from a lot of the demonic, okay? doesn't mean they can't mess with you. But we are in a spiritual battle. It's all around. My dad used to talk about the fourth dimension. He would be like, hey, do you see the angels and, and demons around you? And I was like, no. I was like, yep. But I was like, in my head, no, I don't. Now, he was just giving me a picture of a metaphor of, of like, man, there's more than, than meets the eye. There's, there's a battle going on in the air. That's what the Bible tells us to pray about. And we just get stuck in our robotic, like, American lives, and everything is black and white and gray, and we talk like this and everything. There's, there's no demons. There's no, you know, we're just going to the store, living our lives, work, do-do-do-do-do, because God is actually protecting us from a lot of that junk. But you're having babies. You're having kids, right? And then the, and, and the, the enemy wants to come and attack them. He wants to come and attack um, the, the people at your work. I mean, it is a spiritual war. It's not being dramatic. It's actually what's happening. L- look at our country. The things that we accept is normal. It's just weird. That's not History has said that is not normal. And we are saying things are normal that are not normal. So do you have the redeeming joy of Jesus? Man, if this is the first time you've come to encounter that, we encourage you. Come and respond. Please come and respond. If you are a believer, keep abiding in Jesus. Keep abiding in our redeeming love and know that he loves you and that he wants you to have a changed mind. That's what repentance means in the Bible, this changing of the mind, turning away from Satan's kingdom, turning to the kingdom of God, that you would be a new creation in Christ, that you can live like that every day. But we must keep repenting and believing. We must keep the abiding in this redeeming joy. So believe the true gospel story from the beginning of time and the one that reaches to the end of time, the story of hope and peace that was witnessed by many people as Jesus, the Redeemer, our redeeming joy, that's the Savior of the world. He lived, he died, he resurrected, he ascended, God with us, and he's calling you to believe in him. So let's long for his advent. Let's long for this king. We ask the question, when is Jesus coming? He is coming again. He is coming again, and he came at the perfect time in history to be a redeeming joy, and he again, guys, he's coming at the perfect time. So let that be your joy. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we love you. Lord, we need you. You are our joy, Lord. We 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 honestly we can't even breathe without you. And so, Lord, please remove any arrogance or or just passivity or um, comfort that is not found in you. Remove chaos that is that is not found in you, wherever we are today we just want to come, and we want to ask you to minister to our hearts and our souls now as we respond to you um, in this time of gospel response. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.